for some reason, like my brain blew up. It was so casual. The prayers that you make up are the most powerful prayers. One word, two words, three words, a phrase. Every time you say something, you honor your ancestors. This is Hawaii Rising, a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund. I'm Kenji Cataldo. I'm Suyuno Amos. Each week, we'll be talking story with grassroots community organizers at the forefront of progressive movements for change in Hawaii. Over this series, we're featuring the 30 grantees who received community-raised funds through the Hawaii People's Fund this year. It's our biggest cohort to date, and we're so excited to share their stories with you. Today, we're talking with Anthony Arce and Rebecca Goldschmidt from Language Acquisition and Immersion for the New Generation, or Laing Hawaii. Laing Hawaii utilizes heritage language learning as a tool for social and political education. They offer Ilocano and Visayan language courses, as well as a range of workshops centered on language, culture, and storytelling. We recorded this conversation with Anthony and Rebecca back in October, and we're excited to share their insights into the intimate and powerful experience of learning the language of one's ancestors. We are here with Rebecca Goldschmidt and Anthony Arce of La Ing. Can you both start by introducing yourselves and your organization? Uh, sure. So my name is Anthony Arce, um, and La Ing Hawaii stands for Language Acquisition and Immersion for the New Generation. Um, we started laying in 2018 uh, after we joined a sort of community language program um, and we went on an immersion trip to the locals in the Philippines. When we came back, that program was not going to be continued. So former students of that program, me included and Rebecca, um, we got together with some other students and we decided to form Laing Hawaii so we could continue um, this lang community language program. Um, but before I get into that, I'll let Rebecca introduce herself. Thanks, Anthony. Um, aloha mai kako. And let's see, what time is it? Naimbag nga maalem, yo amin? I'm sorry, I'm like totally off on my time zones for you guys. But um, my name is Rebecca Maria Goldschmidt. I am an artist and I am also a student of Ilocano language. And yeah, I'm just really grateful to... Hawaii People's Fund for having us today. And, um, you know, Anthony and I, like he mentioned back in 2018, we were taking this community language class that was started by the Ilocano language professor at UH, Manong Agkuili. And he had envisioned sort of a community language program that was working out of the Philcom Center that had, he had been working on for a couple of years. I think they started in 2015 um, with uh, some support from the um, Philippine Kenyans, Consulate. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. the, Phil, Phil, um, the Philippine Consulate in general. And so they basically created this program and kept it going up to a certain point. And then when there was not really much more funding left or any more kind of interest, I mean, not that there wasn't interest, but I think there was just, it was hard to keep it going as a, an individual program working um, within the Philcom Center. So we just decided that we would 
take it on and still continue to offer free Ilocano classes to the broader community, there still is an Ilocano language program, language and literature program at UH. So a lot of people in Hawaii, a lot of Filipino students go through that program. So there are a lot of Ilocano language speakers, you know, young people and obviously older people um, in the community. But as an, in terms of like outside of the university, there was nothing really like this that existed. So we just didn't really want it to end. So we took it on and now fast forward a couple of years and we're here. <laughs> Great, thank you. Before we get into Latin's programming, I would love to hear a little about your personal relationships with the languages that you speak. Did you want to start, Rebecca? <laughs> sure. Um, well, let's see. I grew up in Chicago and my mother was also born in Chicago to parents who came from the Philippines. They came from Pangasinan in like the 1920s and 1950s. So she was raised in an environment that was very much, you know, the Midwest, um 1950s 60s a lot of obviously like racial dynamics happening within the city and speaking Ilocano or even Tagalog or my grandfather actually spoke Pangasinense speaking those languages in the context of that place just like many of us um, who grew up in the diaspora it just wasn't beneficial to at least my grandparents didn't see it as being beneficial to my mother and her sister. So they basically stopped speaking that language and they only spoke English at home. So my mom grew up only speaking English. I obviously grew up in America only speaking English as well. And at a certain point when I was younger, I actually took German in high school because my grandparents on my dad's side are German Jewish. And so I was interested in learning that language. So I grew up studying German. I also grew up studying Hebrew when I was a little kid um, in, in grade school. And when I decided to go to grad school, I basically was like, well, you know what? I really want to learn more about the Philippines and Philippine languages because I felt like I had this great exposure to this one side of my identity and my genealogy, but I really knew nothing about the Philippines at all. So I came to Hawaii for school and I ended up studying Ilocano and, and um, through my studies just really just transformed my way of viewing the whole life experience as a human and as just, you know, just a person on earth, but also as a person who studies languages in terms of communication and like the grammar style, the um, all of the different things that are built into the language itself. And then also how it connects to larger Pacific languages. So that's my personal story. I think Anthony and I kind of connect because we're both on the sort of like far end of language connection. We didn't grow up with our languages at home. So maybe Anthony, you want to talk a little bit more about your experience here in Hawaii? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So my, um, it is similar, like Rebecca mentioned. So on my mother's side, my mother's side is Cebuano and Tagalog, but my mother um, didn't speak any sort of Cebuano or Tagalog. Her grandparents, I mean, her parents, my grandparents, apologies, they didn't speak their native languages either or their indigenous languages. Um, their grandparents did. So her grandparents, um, so this would be my great grandparents. Um, that would be the first generation that came to Hawaii. Um, so my grandparents were born here on my mother's side and my mother was born here. On my father's side is the Ilocano side. Um, for him, he was born here as well, 
um, and his mother was born here. The only person born in the Philippines was my grandfather. Um, but he and my grandma would speak Ilocano in the home. So I would hear it sometimes. And so there would be phrases that I would learn here or there. Um, but it was kind of twice removed, especially like if we weren't at my grandparents' house. So if I was only staying with my dad or only staying with my, my mom, we wouldn't hear it. We might hear phrases here and there on my mom's side. Um, what I learned later on was that it was different languages. It might be something in Cebuano or something in Tagalog. So I didn't even realize, I didn't make the connection that these were all different. So I would say when I was learning, when I took this community language class and they would teach us certain things, I'd be like, oh, I learned it as this. And they're like, that's actually not Ilocano. I was like, oh, I didn't know that. So it was, yeah, so it's very similar where the language wasn't part of my sort of within my immediate realm. We learned English. Um, that was my first language. And I didn't even, when I grew up and I took language classes like Rebecca took German, I ended up taking Japanese in high school and in even in college. And it was, I, I guess it's sort of like a social economic um, influence from like, you know, your family or things around you, like this will be beneficial for you. You should learn this instead. And actually my, ma I, my major, my background is English literature as well. So <laughs> it's sort of, when I look back, I'm just like, I studied all these languages that were not my languages. Um, and not just like, I learned it. Yeah, I speak English. This is what the language I grew up with. So, you know, that's how it was. But it's like, I studied these languages that weren't my languages. So there was a moment, I guess, on everyone's journey when they're trying to reconnect with themselves, um, their family, their culture, especially as I was trying to create a family tree, create a history of where I came from, as our older generations within our family sort of like started to pass away. Like we don't, I didn't realize, I realized I didn't know much. And then I stumbled upon this language program. Um, and I was like super excited to take it. Number one, because everywhere I looked here, it was always connected with the University of Hawaii. And I was like, I don't have money to go back to school. <laughs> what I did um, is I emailed one of the professors and um, it was Nadine, actually, Nadine Ortega, who is one of our, um, yeah, she, she's one of like our council of elders, so one of our advisors for living. I had reached out to her and I had asked her like, hey, if I want to take your class, I don't care about getting credit. I just want to sit in and I want to learn, like, is it cool if I just show up? Like, because I don't want to, I didn't want to apply to UH, I didn't want to pay money. I was like, I'll just reach out directly. I'm, some professors might be cool and like, we don't care, we have room. And she said, actually, there's this community class going on. Um, you should sign up for it. And that's where I met Rebecca and we met everybody else on the board. And the second we heard that it was kind of like not going to continue, I felt like oh, we need to keep this. Like, what if I never found this? Like, I didn't know where I would go, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. that was sort of the story of like my, I guess my relationship to Laing and to my language. I'm still a learner. Like, I feel like such a novice in it as well. I'm so proud of it. But like, people are like, oh, yeah, you can see. I'm like, I'm, I'm not, I'm super novice still. <laughs> 
I feel the same way. It's it's complicated. It's a complicated language. <laughs> it is. It is. I wanted to ask about the particular context of Hawaii for the kind of heritage language learning community you have with Laing. You know, I'm, I'm wondering how the history and cultural and political context here shapes the way you approach language learning. Sure. Um, I'll, I'll go first. So it's very interesting. We, we try to take the context I, of the history of what's happened here um, into all of our programming, primarily the base of laying is language programming, but we, we believe that language learning is a tool for folks to get in touch with their culture. It's a tool for people to see things differently because language is sort of like a gateway to, um, different ways of seeing and understanding the world. Um, and when we talk about our indigenous languages, we make sure to acknowledge the indigenous culture here in Hawaii. Um, so um, the Kanaka Maoli, the Kanaka Oivi people, it's important to us because no matter how we got here, um, we may have been displaced from our land. Um, back in the Philippines generations ago, our grandparents, great-grandparents or whatnot. But in order to recognize that displacement, we need to recognize our own presence as displacing um, indigenous people in this land. So as we fight to reclaim things that um, were sort of erased from us, taken from us, like our language, like our culture, it's important for our classes to like have sort of that perspective and context of history in Hawaii as it relates to how things were erased and taken from people here, from the indigenous people here. So I think it's really important as we operate programs within a, um, an occupied and settled land that we acknowledge these stories. And not just because we are here as well, but because these stories are linked to our stories as well, our stories of colonization. They're not, they don't live in silos, right? Um, there's this increasing, I feel like especially now with the advent of technology, social media, there's a, people are sharing knowledge better. And then so colonization has done um, a great job of separating people and of like separating people from their own languages, like, like we've been discussing, separating people from their own history, but separating people from each other. So to realize how unified we are in our stories and in our struggle, I think is important to laying. And I think we always try to highlight that somehow within our programming because we believe that in order to like liberate ourselves, we need to recognize the stories, our not only our stories, but the stories of our kapsat, of our siblings, of our brothers and sisters. I, if that makes sense, Rebecca. No, I, I think it does. I mean, I think um, you know, 
there was one day I remember when we had lying class. We we're supposed to have class, but we didn't have class. I think for whatever reason it was canceled. We both Anthony and I didn't get the memo or whatever, like an event too. Right. So we were, yes. Remember we were sitting at the, um, there's like, if you guys have been to the Philcom center, there's like a big patio in the middle and there's like a fountain. So we're like sitting by the fountain, just like chilling, waiting to see if anyone was going to open the door, which they never did. But I think that was the first time that we really had like political conversation around what's going on in Hawaii it was like election year that year so we were just kind of talking like local politics and stuff and I think because I'm not from Hawaii I feel like a lot of anxiety around what my role is and what I should be doing and you know again like Anthony's saying like what wh- how can I be how can we and I as a non Hawaiian person or as a settler person in Hawaii, like be of most service. Um, and then in the process also be effective in educating our own community because there is so much misinformation and, you know, miseducation and, you know, it's not anyone's fault. It's just, um, you know, we're living in an American context, like slapped onto this other Pacific context. There's a lot of layers. I mean, you guys all really understand that. I think Hawaii People's Fund does a great job kind of breaking some of that stuff down. But um, so I think that day when we were really talking more about our politics and, you know, how language fits into that, I think Anthony, just even in this conversation of us sharing our stories, it's clear that the loss of our language is like, was often also a choice that our grandparents made for our own economic um, advantage. You know, if we don't have an accent, and this is something that we see in Hawaii a lot too, people who have an accent um, are disadvantaged in some way in the workplace, or, you know, we, we look a lot at why and how Hawaiian people and Um, especially women, Hawaiian women and Filipino women are the least paid, have the lowest status jobs in Hawaii. And a lot of that goes back to education, but it also goes back to these sort of um, oppressive ways of thinking about who's qualified for what and why. And so I think in order for us to understand ourselves and our culture and like kind of looking at it as like a kind of per- that classic like feminist like the personal's political line you know like your own personal journey in discovering yourself also opens this door to how you relate to other people and um seeing the ways that our histories are connected to each other so i think because you know it's an island that alone you know the geography of the place and thinking about um Hawaii and the Philippines as archipelago, as archipelagic, you know, places that are constantly growing and shrinking and connecting to each other. Um, I think we also go back to the idea of the banka and the um, va'a as like, you know, people who have traveled and um, have these really long, deep uh, genealogical connections, not just through language, but like DNA and culture and food and all those different things. So Mm -hmm. I think for, for me, Hawaii was the place where I learned all of that to be true as someone who has been, you know, disconnected from that culture so deeply um, removed. And I think it only makes sense for us to continue to rebuild those bridges. And it's also, you know, especially if you look at the labor history of Hawaii, there are those 
connections and those um, solidarities that have existed. And even before, um, I know that uh, one of our professors was studying the um, the travel of Filipinos or you know people from the Philippine islands or whatever um, to Hawaii or throughout the Pacific, even before we were brought here to work on the plantation in 1906. So there's clearly histories that we don't even know about that you know, we can't articulate, but we know them to be true um, through our bodies or through different kinds of memory. And language is one of those things that contains so much of that knowledge. So we're just, yeah, that's our goal really is to make that aware, aware or to kind of like awaken that awareness for people on both sides, on all sides, you know, um, for people who are discovering it, for people who already have that language, but don't really realize how that's also connected to other people. I love that you brought up like the banka or the va'a because yeah, it, it really reaffirms that like the water, the ocean, it's so vast and it's very Western and it's very colonial to think that these are the things that separate land. Whereas our peoples in the past, these are the things that connected us, the water connected us to each other because they're like, they move people, you know, people voyage through them. So it's just another it's interesting how that changed and how just learning language changes your idea of like how you view the water now or how I view it personally, like, or how I view things now, just learning different languages and phrases and understanding um, its meaning and where it's coming from. And it's sort of, there's a lot of unlearning that happens with language learning and I'm I, I, it's, it sounds way off the wall right now, maybe that I can relate to that. But when I was listening to Rebecca, it's just, yes, like I, it, I get it. Like it's, it's these ideas that language provides different ways of seeing, like I said in the beginning, and it's hard to explain that in English, I guess, as well. <laughs> uh, but like when you learn, when you learn your native language or a different language in general, you, you learn their ideas and their concepts. And for a lot of Pacific peoples, it's these ideas of like connecting and community and unity and travel and like just use like of just some nat natural world things that like were sort of were stripped from us. So very much like I live in Chinatown right now. Like sometimes I think like I, I live in like a concrete like building. I'm so much detached from like nature. I try my best to bring in plants and soil and just things like from uh, from my culture, from my ancestors here so I can remember to be rooted in it because there's so much of my life I wasn't. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think it's really cool to point out that languages are a way to see differently. You know, they're technologies and structures and ways of seeing the world. I'm curious if you have any stories of shifts that you've noticed in yourself through learning a new language, or like I'm really wanting to know about ways in which English as a language may be limiting. Um, when we had our picnic a couple years ago, you know, pre-COVID when we we're out, like living life. <laughs> um, so I learned uh, Ilocano is, there's no gendered pronouns in Ilocano. So there is no he or she. And as a, I identify 
I identify as gay, as non-binary, as queer. I like to identify as queer as well, just because there's like, I, obviously the language is lacking for me in English. That's that's what I struggle with, these definitions. So when I found out that Ilocano was non-binary, it's they had no pronouns. Um, I was like, oh, wow, that's very interesting. And I went back home and I, I rented this room ages ago, not ages, only like maybe a year or two ago from um, an elderly um, Filipino couple. And I they knew I was studying Ilocano. So I would go home and I would try and practice with them. Or they'd ask how class was and they they try to speak to me and I would I would try, but I was like, oh my gosh, you speak so fast. Um, but I went home this one day after learning about um that Ilocano has no um, gendered pronouns. And I, I I told, I call her Mama Feli. I asked Mama Feli, I was like, oh, Ilocano doesn't have any like gendered pronouns. She's like, yeah. And I was like, this is, you know, all these years, I would hear you say he or she, and she would use them interchangeably for anybody. So, and I just thought like, oh, you know, that's just like a grasp of maybe the English language that, you know, as, a, as learning English as a second language, um, maybe this is, these are one of the things that they can't hear the S or something. I wasn't sure. And, but now I know it's because they don't have those. So it's like, they mean the same thing. And when I said that to her, she's like, yeah, cause it doesn't matter. And I was just like, it doesn't matter. And like, for some reason, like my brain blew up and I was like, I mean, I knew it doesn't matter. I felt it. I understood that, but like just to hear it and to like understand it in like that way. And like, it was so casual just the mm. way she said it like because it, it doesn't matter like you know if you're saying someone goes to the mu movie why do you need to know their gender they went to the movie right or like you know he picked up the red ball why do you need to know that they picked up the red ball like it has it makes no it gives no like that context gives no real more meaning to that statement and i just was like oh gosh and for some reason it's it was healing but it was just like it was so simple just the response was so simple yeah because it doesn't matter and I, like whereas I spent like you know a lot of my college life a lot of like even afterwards you know with these ideas of sexuality and gender being somebody who's queer like debating it papers and, and to be boiled down to be like yeah who cares that's why and I'm just like it felt really liberating. And I'm just like, see, like if I was like, if we existed outside of colonization with my people, I would never have had to go, go through all of that. It would have just been understood and accepted and acknowledged like, yeah, like gender is whatever, whatever you want it to be. And we don't need to add a pronoun to it or define it in like multiple ways. like in all like we don't need to put labels all on everything else it just it can be whatever and fluid here it is <laughs> and so that really it helped me heal and it helped me see it in a different way and that's why I think I identify more as nowadays as non-binary and queer within the English language because it's I feel like it's broader and it's it's what I it's what I identify most with I love that story. That's a perfect example. Rebecca, did you have anything that you wanted to share? Something that that really that I can think of um, 
was just thinking about honorifics and like putting apple in front of um, a person's name or maybe an a revered or honored being um, like Apobulan, which is our moon, or Apoimit, which is the sun. And just instead of referring to the sun as the sun or the moon as the moon, they have this honorific Apo that gets put in front of it. And then I remember, you know, thinking, talking to my aunties and stuff, and they're talking about blah, 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 Apo Marcella, Apong, Apong, you know, they talk about like their older brother or sister or their auntie or someone, you know, they always use this honorific um, in front of the, in front of the name. And I think for me, I was really, really interested in the sort of spirituality and the, you know, I think people call it superstitions, but like the folk traditions of our ancestors. And even my mom would tell me like, oh, your grandmother would do all these weird superstitious stuff. And I'm like, like, what like what you know like tell me like I, I want some ideas and um she's like I don't know I just can't even remember I just can't even remember but I remember Manong Agkuili told us one time that um you know our I don't even know what this was exactly I think it was just do you remember this Anthony he was talking this about the moon? Feeding, feeding the moon feeding yeah. the moon when there's like a full moon and you're eating you're about to sit down to have dinner and you feed the moon before you feed everybody else. It's an offering. And the 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 act of atang or the act of offering, I think is something that I really, really related to and understood deeply on this like spirit level of like, yes, the moon should get food before we do. And so they would take a handful of rice and throw the rice out on the you know, from the, from the house and the houses were like often stilted, right. Because of all the flooding and stuff like that. Um, so like out of the stilted bamboo house is someone throwing like a fistful of rice grains. And it's like, uh, do you remember what he said, Anthony? I forget what he said, but I remember I that. Remember. When, it was just like, you know, like throwing the rice yeah. out to the moon and just that, just that image alone, you know, mm -hmm. like the image of that act happening. And then, you know, learning how to make atang, how to make offering. And then also learning that, um, and this is really similar, like in Jewish tradition too, which I'm also learning more recently, is just that the prayers that you make up are the most powerful prayers. So, cause everyone's always like, well, what are the prayers? What are the songs? This happened recently. We had a talk with um, some folks in the Cordillera and they were like, someone asked like, well, can you can you teach us how to pray or can you teach us what the songs are and what are the offerings that we can make and how do we do it in Ilocano or in, you know, other languages. Um, and the lady was just like, honestly, just, you know, prayer is spontaneous. Like anything is good. Like you just go with it. And, and I think that for us, like as, you know, third gen, like as these people who are separated, who don't have that inherent, like, okay, I have this go-to set prayer, which oftentimes our prayer is also just very Catholic. It's like the prayers are the, you know, the whatever different prayers. I'm sorry. I'm Jewish. I don't know what the prayers are. <laughs> I don't even know, but all of the Jesus, Mary and Joseph stuff, you know? And so to know that you can speak to your ancestors and to speak to the elements around you and, um, you know, spirit 
through a language that is also spoken by your ancestors, but it doesn't, you can kind of reroute and go around and you don't have to go through this like imposed Christianity, which mm -hmm. that's fine. If that's what you want, that's totally awesome. Like you prayer is prayer, right? But if you can go in this other way, um, that, that to me, I think was a really powerful revelation, um, in terms of, you know, spirituality and your relationship to the world itself is that, yeah, giving it this honorific apple in front, like to just elevate, like you're, it's like, before you even speak the word, you, you give that it's honor. And then, um, just the idea of being able to freestyle and that freestyling also relates back to how we would you know, share poetry and things like that too. And it was like a lot of call and response and um, interactive ways of, of speaking together. So yeah, those are kind of the things that I could think of. Yeah, I love the idea of Atang that like I've learned mm -hmm. and everybody we speak to like cultural practitioners that, you know, cause we're so used to be like, okay, well, what is the protocol? You know, what do you, how do you do this? Like, we don't wanna do this in a wrong way. We wanna make sure it's right. and it's they're like if you practice it's right if you do it's right i mean there are some larger rules to things that they're like okay yes this and this and this but it don't felt, eat the <laughs> yeah, don't eat, but it's like there's this there was not a casualness but there was just like uh like a more horizontal i would say connection then I realized that I came to realize. And I think we all did. And it's like, you have this idea, like, you know, this is so far away, but then it's so comforting to know that I can connect to my ancestors right away, here, every day. I have Atang in my house right now. Like, and then like, I pass it, I remember them, right? And it's, I, they live, like, whenever you see it, it feels like, ah, they live in my sight now, like every day. And it's very comforting for me and I, I don't know if you've been to like a very a Filipino person's house before or like gone to their party a lot of times yeah you'll see like the picture of Mary or like even like maybe a grandparent or someone that's passed away and there'll be a table of food and there's a lot of Catholicism on that as well but like it comes from this old tradition of just like bringing in your ancestors and your heritage in the home with you every day and making sure you remember them and in a in, I, I think for, you know, the diaspora, for colonized people, for displaced people, it's that practice, it helps us like that connection to ancestors we don't know, maybe to grandparents that we weren't able to really connect with because of language. It's, it gives us a way to sort of heal and work through that and connect with them, even though they're not here. And that's, Every time I learn language, every time I learn a new word that I'm, I thought I never knew, I forgot. And then I remember, like, I remember my grandma saying that, like, it, like, brings her back to life in my mind and in my heart. And so it's been, it's been, it's been amazing. Just, I mean, it's the, it's the hardest thing I've been through, but it's also the best thing I've been through. And that's why, like, I love laying and I love everybody that does it. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't say their names. Yvette Kudal, um, Janine Mariano, Catherine Taylan. They couldn't be with us. And even um, Manang Marianella. She um, recently just, um, we promoted her to our Council of Elders. 
but these are like they all carry me and i love it <laughs> and even rebecca we can't even let her go i'm like you're in japan but we're not gonna let you go <laughs> <laughs> so for anyone listening who wants to learn a heritage language but it feels daunting or out of reach what advice would you give like rebecca said like one word two words three words a phrase Every time you say something, you honor your ancestors. I would say the search for your language is a search for self. Um, it's a search for your ancestors, and it's waiting for you if, when you're ready to look for it. I personally can say that it's not like I had lost something. It's more like it was always there, and I just didn't see it. And it's sort of it's sort of something like once you see it, you can't unsee it. Once you open that door, you cannot close it anymore. I didn't realize how close it was. It feels sometimes like it's so far away, like you need so much of it. But like I didn't realize how close certain things were. Um, you feel really detached from things. Like we talk about being separated from culture, from colonization, separating you from your land. But some like when we talked about Atam and how it's like, it's right there now. I can go and I can touch it if I want. Like it's so close to me. And I would say, just try, speak a word, speak a phrase every day if you want to, every day if you can. Um, it is incredibly healing. Thank you so much, Anthony and Rebecca, for all of your insights today and for taking the time to chat with us. Is there anything else you want to share with us? We love Hawaii People's Fund. <laughs> we just truly, truly do. We love you guys. You guys are, we've learned so much from just being around you and being in space and sharing space and just meeting people. And it's just been, we literally could not do this in, on many different levels, but like it, it just wouldn't be possible. And I think it also it just shows how, again, this interconnectedness and solidarity can work. You know, like all of these little ways that we've connected with each other, I think over the years has been so profound. Um, so we just really want to give a big virtual hug and shout out thanks to White People's Fund because you guys are truly like the impact that you're having on our community specifically, but how that, you know, ripples out into the rest of the community is just, it's really beyond. So yeah, mahalo. You guys are good medicine. Thank you. What a beautiful conversation. Thank you guys for having us. That's good night. To learn more about La Ing's upcoming programming, from Ilocano and Visaya language classes to workshops on poetry, hip-hop, and other language arts, check out their website, www.lainghawaii.org. Hawaii Rising is a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund produced by me and me with additional support from Mickey. Our theme music is Revolutionary from the band Ukla the Mock, written and sung by Mickey Hui Hui. Production of this podcast is supported by a fellowship from Princeton University. Thank you to our community donors and to you, our audience, for listening. In our next episode, we'll be speaking with Honua scholars. 
We sort of envision a science and technology sector led by Native Hawaiians and other locals who kind of share the same Native Hawaiian values. You don't want to miss it. 